Um, If you were here last week, you know that we're already taking a look at a handful of texts from the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John has an interesting way of painting different portraits of Jesus as you go through. Sometimes sometimes, uh, John spends about a chapter, sometimes he spends more. In this case, I know it's titled incorrectly, I'm sorry I sent that wrong, that's on me. Jesus is the light of the world. He's also the light of man, (laughs) but he is the light of the world. And we're going to take a look at that idea in the Gospel of John. We were introduced to it at the very beginning in John chapter 1, when he says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word was the light of man. Uh, Darkness could not comprehend it. But he really starts digging into this idea in John chapter 8 and then John chapter 9. What you're going to find is that this idea of Jesus being the light uh, is actually scattered all throughout the Gospel of John. This is actually a major motif as you go through and you read through the Gospel of John. You see evidence for it when Jesus heals a blind man. You see even Nicodemus who goes and approaches Jesus in the darkness of night. Uh, you, you know that, that Nicodemus is not going to understand what, or see properly what Jesus is teaching because he approaches him at night. Right. Okay. So this idea that Jesus is the light of the world, um, it starts here in uh, chapter eight, starting with verse 12. He says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Even your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I came from and I know where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. The entire, the rest of the chapter, all of chapter eight after that point is essentially this weird technical squabble that is going on between Jesus who says, I'm the light of the world. And they say, you can't say who you are. Somebody else has to say it. And there's, there's like a legal reason why they're making that argument. And so it ends up, uh, Jesus is wrangling with the Pharisees about his identity as the light and they couldn't see it, didn't understand it. And they were using legal arguments to say, no, Jesus, you can't make that claim about yourself. Uh, and then he transitions into chapter nine and there's an even uh, larger text that starts dealing with Jesus as the light. And it, it takes place in a narrative fashion as Jesus goes and heals this blind man. And I want to get to that in just a second, but before that, I want I want to ask you if you have ever taken the time to appreciate, and I mean really appreciate the fact that we live in a world where we can always be in light. Always. You, you always have an opportunity. We, we have little night lights in my house so that when I get up at night, I'm not in complete, you do too. Right, So I'm not in complete darkness. You ever, you ever want to experience the terror of dark? Go ahead, drive down the road on I-5 at uh, 11 o'clock at night and just kick off the lights for a moment. The terror of darkness, right? But we don't live with that reality. We're always surrounded by some kind of light. I first recognized, I mean, I really came to grips with this idea that I don't understand darkness well when I started taking teenagers to go uh, exploring the ape caves. Have you ever been to the ape caves? Right over over in St. Helens, a really, really popular uh, set of caves. Uh, there's a shorter one, three quarters of a mile long, the southern cave, and it's almost a stroll. You can twist your ankle, uh, but it's a pretty easy one. But the fun, 
The fun one is to turn and take the upper caves, which are um, one and three quarters mile long. Uh, and unlike the lower cave where people will go and they'll take lanterns and the land, I mean, you don't even need spelunking gear. Please tell me I earned extra points for using the word <laughs> spelunking. Right. You don't even need spelunking gear to go in the lower caves. You can go on a casual stroll in the cool of the, of the, the cave with a lantern. Uh, and they, they'll actually rent them out to you before you get to the trailhead. Um, year after year, I would take kids uh, to go to the ape caves. And my very first year in uh, youth ministry in, um, in Oregon... I took a group of kids uh, down to the ape caves, and I thought this would be... And, and like any 21-year-old guy uh, in charge of a group of teenagers, <laughs> they are so lucky they're still alive. <laughs> you guys know Aaron Partlow? In my youth group growing up. I'm, he's so lucky that he is alive. All right, my very first time taking the group of kids to uh, the ape caves, and I didn't know what we were in for, and nobody else knew what we were in for, and we had turned around and started heading in the upper ape caves, and, and I had, every group has this, right? I had uh, two seniors and a junior, uh, all guys, and they were too cool for anyone else. And I know the protocol. If you're 21 and you're the person in charge, it means you bark and tell everybody what they're supposed to be doing, which is what I was doing. Me holding the lantern... And I said, guys, I'm the front of the line. Get behind me. Whatever, Ben. And they just trotted right on ahead. And, no, guys, get behind me. And whatever. And they're just walking. And at the very beginning, it's nice and calm and fairly flat. And I looked up and I saw the three of them just kind of fuming a little bit as, as it got more and more dim. As they, they didn't have a light. They were depending on my lantern, right? Uh, and I looked down to see where I'm, I'm walking. Look up. I see one, two, three. Look down. Look up, one, two, three, all right. When, when I finally catch up with them, we're going to have words. I'm going to tell their parents about what's going on. Look down, look up, one, two. And then I hear, oh! Because what had happened was they had gotten far enough away that the, the shadows were cast so long that they didn't, realize, they didn't realize that between the three of them, there was a sinkhole that was the size of a human and it had dropped about two feet down and he didn't see it at all. And the guy in the middle of the three of them walking side by side just dropped out into the hole. I finally caught up and I thought, well, I've killed one. <laughs> my, my first year in youth ministry and I've killed a child. I should have brought that med kit with me. Okay, make a mark, make a mental note. And somebody came and rescued us. And we went on that. I actually, I've taken a youth group on um, the ape caves at least 10 different times, year after year after year. And I've learned some really valuable things, like little junior high girls who twist their ankles weigh about 1,000 pounds by the time you carry them out. <laughs> That's a fact. Do you know how long a lantern will last in the hands of a junior high boy? Now, I'm, I'm telling you this because when I say I know what it is to walk in darkness, I know what it is to walk in darkness. And if you've never experienced it, I will tell you, um, just, just a casual or a cautious stroll in the middle of a cave when you don't see a rock hanging down and it strikes your head, right? <laughs> You're like, oh, this explains so much about this man. 
Now, here, here's, here's why I'm telling you this, because usually you and I don't have this experience of, of what it is like to live in darkness or walk in darkness or experience darkness, but darkness, darkness is radically different than something that you and I uh, normally experience. And here's the thing about light. When the Bible talks about Jesus as the light, okay, hear me geeks, Star Wars Star Wars has ruined the way people read scripture. Luke, being tempted by the dark side. And you know what the dark side is, right? It's evil. Stay to the light. The light side, right? Yeah, we tend to hear light and dark and we think, therefore, this is this dichotomy of good and bad in scripture. When scripture talks about what it is to be in the light, it's because the light tells you how you can walk. You walk differently in the light than you do in the darkness. You don't stumble around. You can see what's before you. That's why when I walk into my son's room in daylight, I see Legos. And when I walk at night, daggers. <laughs> right? Legos transform in the darkness into something that is very painful. And the reality is I just know how to walk when I can see what I'm walking around. Right? Okay. So in scripture, in scripture, this idea of the light versus the darkness, this has really one major vehicle. When people walk in the light, they walk differently because they see where they are. They understand the world around them and they can walk differently because they have the light. Jesus makes this claim and he makes it twice, both once in chapter eight and then in chapter nine. He says, I am the light of the world. Okay. This is not a new concept. The idea that, uh, that with God comes a, a knowledge of the light and an understanding. Light changes the way you walk. In fact, that's why Jesus, uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 14, he's talking to the Pharisees and uh, he's talking about the Pharisees and they have this disagreement and he goes, just, just let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And I tell you how I wish that passage were on the tip of my tongue about 20 years ago. <laughs> hey, Jason, having fun down there in that pit? Uh, but this idea of the light, this, uh, this wasn't new by the time Jesus came. The Jews already knew about the light. In fact, they believed that they had the light. In fact, they believed specifically that the word of God gave them light. And therefore, because they had the word of God, they were then the light. You know these texts, profound, right? Psalms 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 24, he says, um, he says, but if you call yourself a Jew and you rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourselves are a, a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, the, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you, when you teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? For you abhor idols, but you rob temples. You who boast 
in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So this concept, this idea that God provides us light, and in that light we know then how to walk. For the Jews, it it always was contained in God's precepts, in God's law, right? God gave them the law, and they were blessed by the law. And therefore, because they had the law, and the law was a light to their path, then they also were a light to the rest of the nations. And that's how Jewish people thought for Thousands of years, and that's exactly what uh, Paul is writing about in Romans chapter 2 when he's trying to press on the Jews that they believe that they are the light, right? They believe that they're the light. But here's the problem. Their behavior gives them away. Because you walk differently in the light. And so even though they believed that they had the light because they had the law, the fact is they did not live as though they were walking in the light because though they had the law and they could confess what was right and what was not, they couldn't live that way. And so Paul is here pointing out the weaknesses of the law. While the law is great to illuminate the way we ought to walk, it doesn't actually help us walk that way because the Jews weren't walking that way. This idea of the light, right? This was already there. Jesus comes down and he says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is now the light of the world, not just the law. Jesus is the light of the world. Now that, that claim gets challenged in the Gospel of John repeatedly. Uh, but one of the neat things about the way uh, John presents this, this is found also in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. But one of the neat ways about how John presents this is unlike Matthew, right? Matthew says they're blind guides. If the blind leads the blind, they're both going to fall into a pit, right? Just, Matthew just records Jesus coming right out and saying it. But in John, he actually unpacks this idea in this narrative exchange. It goes on in John chapter nine. He tells he tells about Jesus encountering and healing a blind man. Okay, Uh, so John chapter nine says, as he passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind, right? So the one thing that they knew, and and actually the Pharisees are going to turn this around towards the end of the chapter and confirmed that they absolutely believed that this man was a sinner. That The one thing that they knew was that if somebody is, is uh, struggling with an infirmity in life, it's because they sinned and God was bringing restitution or punishment on them for that, right? Now, the, the thing that his disciples, Jesus' disciples, couldn't figure out is, what, so if a, man is born, if a man becomes blind, but he was not born blind, well, then that's really easy. I don't know what you did, buddy, but you did something. You made God upset, and therefore he struck you with blindness. But an interesting philosophical problem when you stumble across somebody who was born blind, right? So he's paying the penalty for sin, right? Is it his sin? Like something that he... This, this This is a philosophical question that they're wrestling with, right? Is it his sin? Maybe something that he committed in his mother's womb? Or, or maybe he's just paying the penalty for his mother's sin. Somewhere he's paying the price, the penalty for a sin, because he was born blind. Was it his or his mom? Hmm. 
Tell us, Rabbi, sit down and teach us how God dispenses punishment upon people who sin. And Jesus turns around and he says, Ah, you know, you're thinking about this all wrong. It was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. All by itself, right there. If nothing else came after it, probably one of my favorite texts in all of scripture. Because Jesus reminds me that when I encounter people, I then have an obligation to display the glory of God instead of pondering what hole somebody fell into. But it goes on, and there's some incredible material here. He said, so we must uh, work. We must work the words of him who sent me while it is day, for night is coming, and then no one can work. As long as I am in the world, he says, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud, and he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. I don't know if it was gross by standards back then, but it's gross to me today. Okay, I'm just say if you're thinking that, I'll just confirm that. Um, he spat on the ground. He made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and he said to him, "Go wash in the pool of Siloam," which means sent. And then he went and he washed, and he came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. And then others said, no, but he is like him. Uh, right? So you see the conflict already where people are like, he looks like this guy, but, but, but if it is, something impossible just happened. Right? So there, you see the conflict in them as their, as their world just starts spinning together. Maybe it's him, maybe it's not. Uh, and, and others said, no, but, but he's like him. And then he kept saying, I am the man, that's me. Uh, and they said to him, well, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, and he anointed my eyes, and he said to me, go to Salome and wash. And so I went, and I washed, and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. Verse 13, they brought the Pharisees to the man who had formerly been blind. And now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. This is, by the way, the second time in the Gospel of John where Jesus just cannot quit on the Sabbath day, right? <laughs> It's happened in chapter 5, and now it's happening again. Uh, and it's it's the Sabbath day, so this is going to be a hot mess as the Pharisees start talking to him about this. And he says, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the man, and he opened the, the his eyes. And so the Pharisees asked again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. Do you know how they know that? They already decided that in chapter 5. And every chapter subsequent to that, Jesus is a problem, right? 
Some, some of the Pharisees uh, said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, well, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And so they said, uh, they said again to the blind man, well, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? Now, here's where the text starts to pivot, because we have these, these men, right? These Pharisees. This is going to continue on as we read. You have these Pharisees who literally, they have everything. You see that in the text, right? They, they, they have everything. Not only do they have their eyes so that they can actually see, they went to school probably longer than anybody else in their entire, um, in the entire culture. Pharisees went to school the longest because the Torah they studied. And so they continued on in their education. And you have this man who was born blind. Do you know what a blind man does? He begs. He begs. He can't see. He can't learn in school. He has no trade. He has nothing. Right? And so you have these two groups that are at complete opposites in the entire, in the entire, entire spectrum of the culture. You have the Pharisees who literally have everything. They've, they are the most educated people in the entire, uh, country, right? They have studied scriptures. They make a living by studying the Torah and the law, right? These are the people who have the Word of God as light. And here's a man who has nothing. No education. No way to study the Torah. No money. Nothing. And they ask him, who do you say this man is? And he musters up the only thing that that he can say at the time because the man opened his eyes and he said, he's a He's a prophet. And the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and he had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and they asked him, is this your son whom you now say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we don't know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. They answered truthfully, but also fearfully. Um, Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Uh, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, we'll ask him. He's of age. So the second time they called in the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. Come on now, son, be honest. Do something that is going to actually bring glory to God instead of lying. They said, bring glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. The only thing I do know 
is that though I was blind, I now see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he said to you, I've told you already. You see them going round and round and round. And the Pharisees cannot accept the truth that Jesus was there, that Jesus behaves this way, that Jesus is doing this by the power of God, that by the power of God, Jesus allowed this blind man's eyes to be opened. I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And so, why? Do you also want to become his disciples? I mean, this is when it gets petty, right? right? Do you also want to follow Jesus? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. They're right. Now, this, this, there's an Easter egg in here, um, if, if you want to know. Um, all the nerds looked up. There's an Easter egg. Um, Jesus is the, the Greek word um, for the Hebrew name Joshua. If you didn't know that, uh, take it home and think about this for a moment. Because the Messiah came. He was given the name that is above all names. And he was named after the one man. Not the man who led them out of Egypt into the wilderness. The man who led them into the promised land. So he says, why do you want to become his disciples? And they they said, no, we're disciples of Moses, which is true. They're disciples of the law. The problem is being a disciple of Moses only led them into the wilderness and it only gave them the law and the law does not have the power to free them. But Jesus, if you follow Jesus, he can lead you to the promised land. So they have this exchange and he says this little quip and he's like, why do you want to be his disciples? You are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, why this is an amazing thing. (laughs) Here's where it gets sassy. This is like Twitter before Twitter was invented. This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, from and yet... He has opened my eyes, right? You, you men who have studied the Torah, you make this your living to study the Torah. Your eyes should be open to who he is and where he comes from, and they're not. If you can't see it, who can? And the answer is, the man who embraced Jesus and loves and trusts him. A man who had no reason to ever see him, but now can. Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. Do you realize this is is the man speaking? A man who has lost all hope that the world is ever going to be anything worthwhile for him. Who believed his entire lot was always going to be to beg for food, right? Never in the history of the world. Never since the world began has it ever been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And then the Pharisees went back to home base. 
They said, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. John does this, by the way, in the Gospel of John. It's really kind of a weird thing. Uh, Jesus goes and he heals people. Those people get rejected by all the religious leaders. And then Jesus slips back later for a little cameo with them afterwards. He does that several times in the Gospel of John. Uh, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and found the man. And he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, uh, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world so that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. You have, you have these two groups. You have the one who had everything and they should be able to see Jesus because they had the law and they knew they were walking in the light. And, and for every account, they should know who Christ is and be able to see and confess him, but they couldn't. And you have a man who had nothing, literally was not walking right. And he saw Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. And here's why this is important. And I don't know if, um, if you were here earlier um, while Bill was teaching his class, did a fantastic job. You missed out on, on, on a treasured moment this morning. Um, the struggle I have sometimes is that in the church... Um, we don't know how to confess Jesus is the light. And so we make the same confession that the Jews did in the Old Testament, that the law is the light. And it's all meant to point to the light, but Jesus is the light. In the absence of a law, I think we just make new laws. I've, I've lived with it my whole life. I know what's right and what's wrong. And I'm, I'm really pretty convicted that the Bible says that those who walk in the light walk in a certain way. That's evidence that they're walking in the light. But the rules are not the light. The law, not the Old Testament, not any New Testament law that we decide to make. They will never have the power to transform a person's life. But Jesus can. And that's why when Paul was engaging with the Jewish leaders. And he says, you think you're a light to the world, but your life doesn't look like you're walking in the light. You say, don't do this, but you do it. You say, don't do this, but you do it. You say, don't do this, but you do it. And the problem is, for the law, is it cannot transform our lives so that we're walking according to the light. But Jesus can. Practically speaking, you can know scriptures and never know Jesus. 
And I'm telling you that as a man who has committed my whole life to the studying of scriptures. But you can miss Jesus. And if it doesn't lead us to a confession and a knowledge and a relationship of Jesus, we don't have the light in order to walk differently. The hope, of course. The very, very end, Revelation has this beautiful picture in Revelation chapter 21, uh, verse 23, where he looks forward to this uh, final uh, city in heaven, place where everybody dwells, and he says, and the city doesn't even have a need of a sun or a moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. So the future, the hope, is that we live in a place where everyone knows how to walk, where everything is illuminated because the glory of God reigns. We don't need the sun, we don't need the moon. But while we're here on earth, we do absolutely need Christ as the light of the world. Now he makes that claim, and I want just I want to end by by asking a couple questions. He says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Right? Now if we can break out of this idea that light and darkness is good and bad, right? And we believe that light actually illuminates so that people know how to walk. Some of the things that we do in church would change. I mean, they'd radically transform. They would turn up on top of their head, right? If, if light is good and dark is bad, then you're going to share Jesus with people who are good. Right? But if Jesus is the light of the world. And you have friends who are walking in darkness. You know, I know people who intentionally do not share Jesus with people because they are not walking right. Now, I want you to just 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 wrap your head around that for just one moment, right? I'm not going to share Jesus with him or her because they're not walking right. Now, if we get it through our heads that Jesus is the light... Of course they're not walking right. And of course they desperately need the light. Right? And it'll transform the way we think about who we bring Jesus to. If this isn't just an inventory of are they good or are they bad? Will Jesus be compatible or not? No. Jesus is the light of the world. He tells everybody. He, he commits to our path how we're supposed to walk and how our lives, they come into, they conform to who Jesus is. If Jesus is the light of the world, we cannot withhold from people because they're not walking right. Those are the people that need Him. And, and here's why I'm telling you this. It's because next week, is it still on your calendar? Okay. Next week is um, National Back to Church Sunday, right? Um, we're asking you to invite a friend. Invite somebody who's been a face but hasn't been here for a while. Invite your neighbor. And you, you just take this from me. You can invite the seediest person you want. <laughs> Go ahead. Somebody who doesn't know how, at all how to walk in life. Yeah, invite them. Because you know who needs the light the most? People who stumble in life. Jesus is not the light for those who already see. He's the light of the world. And so my encouragement to you 
take a moment, look to the left and right. Is there a gap in that row? Who do you have at work? Who do you have in your neighborhood that needs to know Jesus? Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus as the Good Shepherd, and I promise, I promise, in a day where it, it feels like the only message that anyone gets about Christians is just Christians hate everybody, right? They're going to hear a message that is different because Jesus is the good shepherd. He loves and he cares for us. He pursues us. And your neighbors and your coworkers need to hear that. And so I want to encourage you to, to actually think about, not just wait for somebody else to try to greet somebody else's friend who they bring. You know, work up the courage to figure out who you will bring next week. It's a powerful thing. It transforms our lives when we don't win people over to a set of rules, but we win them over to Christ. One of the things that I love about the Gospel of John is that he brings me back to Jesus as the reason. The beginner, uh, the originator of our faith, um, Jesus is the reason why we're gathered. And so my encouragement to you is to think about what that looks like as we leave this morning. But I do want to offer an invitation, and I do want to offer an opportunity to respond. Jesus is the light, and he's your light. And if you're walking in the light, not to say that anybody walks perfectly and doesn't stumble, I think that's... First John, isn't it? That God is the light in him. There is no darkness. If you claim to be without sin, right? It's not that anybody walks perfectly, but we know how to walk when we walk with Christ. And so the invitation for you this morning is that if you need to put on Christ in baptism or you need the prayers of the congregation and you need the support that comes with a body that loves you and walks with you and cares for you, you can respond to this invitation. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song. And if you have any need at all, let us know by coming forward as we stand and sing. <clears throat>